0: You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit Romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. We are suspended in a moment of transition. It's the final Parsha of Genesis. And Jacob, our last great patriarch, is leaving the stage. He's about to die. He says to his family, gather yourselves. He commands his children and grandchildren, agida lechem, Let me tell you, et asher yikra etchem, What will happen to you? Hayamim, at the end of days. All 66 plus members of his family quietly rush to his bedside to hear Israel's parting prophetic words. They sit in rapt attention, hold their breath, and await notice of Acharit HaYamim, what is going to happen in the end of days. But it doesn't come. Jacob chokes on his words. In Rashi's reading, our patriarch glimpses the future, opens his mouth to reveal the fortunes and the exiles to come when suddenly the prophetic presence just evaporates and Jacob's words are left scrambled in his mouth. Can you imagine being being there? I imagine being one of his children Moments away from being matriarch and patriarchless and living in a foreign land, everything feels so uncertain and all we want is a truth to hold on to. And Jacob had it. It was right there. He was going to tell us and then it was gone. Shortly thereafter, Jacob dies the family and the Torah are thrown into transition. And in this moment of fear and uncertainty, the brothers, Joseph's brothers, they enter into a spiritual exile. You remember last week in Parshat Vaigash the scenes of forgiveness, of tshuva, trust regained. Now that their father is gone, and nothing is there to hold them together. They become suspicious of Joseph. They concoct a series of lies to tell him. And then, fascinatingly, they bow down to him and say, Here we are at your service. We are your slaves. They make themselves subservient, and they plant seeds of slavery and exile, and they even say it with a hineni. I'm not judging the brothers here. They are afraid. But I wonder if there might have been a different path. On this Shabbat, on this weekend, celebrating Martin Luther King, We have entered a transitional moment like no other in our lifetime. From Obama's farewell speech this past Tuesday until next week, January 20th, we're in liminal central. What's going to happen next? Who, what has the power to make change? What is this country going to look like in four years? Are we on the edge of national exile, an abyss? Or does it just seem really dark outside? So many are seeking a Jacob figure to kindly step in with a clear picture of acharita yamim, of the end of days of the future to alleviate some of this anxiety. Maybe a journalist, a senator, someone to point and say, it's going to be okay, we will get there, and this is how things will play out. But, of course, Jacob's mouth was stopped before he could speak, and his children didn't get to hear what's coming down the pike. And we don't either. So how will we respond? Martin Luther King famously said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The brothers didn't stand up so well to this test, but perhaps we can. And perhaps the ending of this week's Parsha holds just the key we need. Now it's Joseph who is on his deathbed. Just a few verses later, surrounded by family, just like his father, Jacob. And he says, God will surely pakod yifkod. Try that. Pakod yifkod. I'm not gonna translate it yet. (laughs) God will surely pakod yifkod and bring you up out of this land, unto the land which God swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph took an oath with the children of Israel, and said, God will pakod yifkod, he repeats it, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So what is this pakod yifkod? For Rashi, lifkod is lizkor. It's to remember, to take notice. God will surely take notice and remember you. But pakod is so much more than just an emotional or thoughtful registering, it's take notice and now do something. It's showing up for someone else and putting yourself on the line. It's guarding a person, a principle, or a value. When God pakad Sarah, she conceived at 90 years old and gave birth to Isaac. This isn't just simple remembering. When God will pakod yifkod, in the midst of, of exodus, God will roll up her sleeve and yank the Israelites out of slavery. In the midrashic imagination, pakodif Code becomes the secret password for redemption, like freedom train on the Underground Railroad. Joseph whispers pakodif Code. He whispers the password to his brothers on his deathbed. And then his brother Asher writes it down for his daughter, Sarach. Sarach miraculously lives 400 plus years. And when Moses and Aaron arrive on the scenes with signs and wonders, the elders don't know whether to believe them or not. And they approach Sarach, now the ancient Sarach, to find out whether they can trust him. They say, "Sarah, a person came to us and performed all these signs, turned a rod, a a walking stick, into a snake. And she said, Children, there is no significance in signs. And they say to her, But Serach, Serach, he said to us, Pakod yifkod. Serach smiles and says, That's the one. I have fantasies about Serach, but Asher at the Million Woman March next week. (laughs) Some believe that she never died and she's still going. (sighs) I imagine her with this giant banner shouting, Pakod (laughs) Yifkod. But seriously, only one who knows the secret of Pakod Yifkod can make change, can summon redemption. Only one who takes action on behalf of others who remembers those who have been forgotten and reaches out a hand is worthy of trust. Only one who lifts up and strengthens those around her, like Moshe, is a pakod yifkodnik. Who more than the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. carried this mantle who more than Martin Luther King urged each of us to live these words, Pakodifkod? And so I want to end tonight with his voice in our ears and hearts, from a sermon that he gave 50 years ago, not far from here, at the Riverside Church, when he spoke out against the Vietnam War. He said. I come to this magnificent house of worship tonight because my conscience leaves me no other choice. The recent statements of your executive committee are the sentiments of my own heart, and I found myself in full accord when I read its opening lines. The opening lines are, a time comes when silence is betrayal. And that time has come for us in relation to Vietnam. The truth of these words is beyond doubt, but the mission to which they call us is a most difficult one. Even when pressed by the demands of inner truth, men do not easily assume the task of opposing policy, especially in time of war nor does the human spirit move without great difficulty against all the apathy of conformist thought within one's own bosom and in the surrounding world. Moreover, when the issues at hand seem as perplexing as they often do, we are always on the verge of being mesmerized by uncertainty. But we must move on. And some of us who have already begun to break the silence have found that the calling to speak is often a vocation of agony, but we must speak. We must speak with all the humility that is appropriate to our limited vision, but we must speak. Perhaps a new spirit is rising among us. Let us trace its movements and pray that our own inner being May be sensitive to its guidance for we are deeply in need of a new way beyond the darkness that seems so close around us.